Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this, this afternoon. Um, this is typically sleepy time, you know, tummy's full, one o'clock in the afternoon, so someone, I had, there was a gal that sat next to me at Faith, I would work at UPS at night, get up at, you know, study Greek in the morning and then get up and go to seven o'clock class. They didn't always make it through chapel or early classes. And so I would sometimes fall asleep in the front row. Um, I tried to stay awake and the gal graciously let me sleep and then she would nudge me when it was over. I thanked her for that. Now, I heard of a guy that had fallen, maybe just a fairy tale, I heard of a guy that fell asleep in one of Dr. Walton's class. And that was not hard to do. It was interesting. Um, I, I learned so much from him. But he, he fell asleep. His, his buddy said, hey, Walton wants you to pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for the day. <laughs> Dr. Walton said, as the spirit moves. <laughs> so don't be that guy that says, hey, just nudge them kindly. I really enjoyed our fellowship this time. Good food, good fellowship, good fun, good folks in the Word. It's been a great... Thank you for coming. It's great to be here. Thank you to our workshop speakers. Could you give them a hand if you would? Let them know that you value... They, they, have, they have bared their heart to you, and you know what makes them tick in their walk with God and all the good things and things they struggle with, and I just thank God for each of them who's invested the time to minister, and we are, we are better because of it, so I thank them. All right, in your note, there is such a thing as generations. Let's read a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 4. Here, O Israel... This is Moses speaking to this second generation going into the land. The Lord our Jehovah our Elohim, Jehovah is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities of, that you did not build, Houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him. You shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You should not put your Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he's commanded you and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord God swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies before you as the Lord promised. And when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. It will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There's such a thing as generations. He speaks in chapter 6 
and verse 2, of you, your son, and your son's son. You'll talk later of the children that are even yet to be born. A generation, roughly 25 years, is there's such a thing as generations. There are generation X, generation Z. Uh, I, I'm a baby boomer. How many baby boomers here? How many millennials here? How many have no clue where you fit? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, there's such a thing as generation and the passing of truth from one to the other. There's a need for each generation to be taught. And, and the reason is the nature of children demands it. They are, they are at least three things besides cute. Just got a picture of a new baby in our church, Anchor Church family. Yay! Another generation, firstborn. But they're unregenerate, Okay. They're unregenerate, and so you gave birth to a little sinner. And so they need to hear the gospel, need to keep it before them. And they have a sin nature. They're not even neutral. They're bent towards sin and self by what they are and what they do, and it does not take long for that to manifest itself. Our daughter, Angela, that you saw in the video this morning in the couple's retreat, she's Tim's wife. When she was 11 months old, my wife and I were camping on the Oregon coast at Beverly Beach Campground in our tent. And uh, Angela was our only child, and she did something to show some rebellion, so we spanked her underneath cloth diapers. Anyone ever heard of that? Um, but underneath them was a nice little sensitive spot to express your displeasure with what they do. And she just, she arched her back closed her eyes, and she went limp and passed out. We thought we killed our daughter. I, I, I was panic-stricken, and she arched her back, and eyes rolled back, and started coughing. I said, we just, what do we do? And then she coughs and comes to, and I thought, we, what is going on here? We brought her to her obstetrician and said, you have a rebellious daughter. Wow. Isn't that great? <laughs> that wouldn't happen today. <laughs> She's expressing her displeasure for you disciplining her. Here's what you do. And I tried the stopping it, and you can't stop an 11-month-old from arching their back and passing it. It is physically impossible. I tried. And she passed out anyway. He said, she's trying to get your attention. She's looking for sympathy. Wow, that was pretty smart. This is before you came along, right? And so you have no knowledge of this. You had your own versions of that. Anyway, that's all right. And so he said, when you, she does it, let her pass out, leave the room and come back, pretend nothing had happened, she'll get over it. You know, he was right. But it doesn't take long for them to not like it. They are selfish, demanding, ungrateful, inconsiderate, full of anger, and they need the gospel to be taught and appealed to their heart, and you keep it before them till they come to Christ. And, that, and later, Angela would pray at the dinner table, Lord, help me to be saved someday, every day. And one day she did at the supper table. So they're unregenerate and they're ignorant, meaning they don't know anything. Everything you know had to be learned. And so they have no social skills, they have no history, they have oblivious to danger, the impact on other people. They have no knowledge of God and accept what they're taught. They are born ignorant. We did a Bible study with a couple and Carol, and uh, they came to our church, and God sovereignly brought them there. We did a Bible study in their home, and the first night, the first lesson, Teresa says, I am so embarrassed. I said, why? She said, I know nothing about God. <laughs> I said, that's why we're here. And they're immature. We're to bring them to maturity. They have no discernment, no wisdom, no they don't know how to speak. They don't know how to do their part. They need to learn how to serve, be selfless, be responsible and grateful and thoughtful, considerate, and they have none of that. They have to be brought to maturity or they end up like Hebrews 5 with adults that are still immature. But now ought to be teachers, ought to be hungry for the deep things of God, not dull of hearing, and skillful in the word because they put them to use had their senses trained to discern good and evil. We don't need adults who are immature. On our kids, the nature of children demands it. And the attacks on the family demand it. There's a culture war going on. It's always been true. The battle for the family is escalated in recent years. It's just absolutely bizarre, the things we read. But not surprising, in some case, Romans talks about people with a reprobate mind who reject the Creator. 
We're living in a culture like that, rejecting the Creator, worshiping the creation, uh, ungrateful, unholy. We're living in a culture like that that has abandoned God and worshiping the creation, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind that has no bearings whatsoever. Uh, whether it's drunkenness or drugs or pornography, like we listed today, all of them, even secular humanism, which is actually Marxism, was an attempt to destroy the nuclear family. That's her stated goal. There's a biblical mandate that we train them and teach them and bring them up and, and they are to listen, obey, and honor and own it and mature, so the biblical mandate for that. And the dynamics of each generation means it's not intuitive and it won't happen by mere observation. We have to teach them. We have to instruct them. We have to guide them on the right path, as Tim talked about in his workshop. There's a need to teach, to train, to counsel, to show them I want to read one more text before we move on to that Psalm 78 because it talks about these generations and how that goes from one to the other. Psalm 78 was for Sam to me, it was just life-changing to see this. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, listen up to my teaching. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation what the glorious works of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know the children yet to be born and arise and tell them to their children. <laughs> There's four or five generations here. And it talks about the Word of God. It talks about the works of God. And I'll talk about that later. We're good at giving the Word, but not good at telling about what God is doing. And we're to not hide them and teach them for generations to come. One day, and we won't probably be here, but our grandchildren will have children, and then they'll have children until Jesus comes. That's how long this is supposed to last. Look at the impact that we have with hundreds of men here and families represented and generations yet to come. This is a big deal. The ripple effect, like Greg said, you got saved, your kids are getting saved. That would never have happened. You want that to never stop by the grace of God. So this affects generations to come. And the need for each generation to learn it and to own it. Uh, Ephesians 6 addresses parents and addresses children. This is believing children in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. To come to Christ, they have to choose it. To obey and honor Him is their responsibility. They're to work out their own salvation, and these have to be on their heart. There's a need for God to work in the hearts of everyone involved. As we do our part, God must do a work that only He can do. There's a limitation to what we can do in them. We guide them, we teach them, we counsel them, we train them, we put them on the right path, but God has to do a work or it will all be in vain. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, the psalmist said. With Lydia's heart, her heart, the Lord opened. Philippians 2, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. That's why you pray like crazy that God would do a work as you work with your kids. A sovereign God does his work. And so we're responsible as stewards, have to do the best that we can can by the grace of God. They're accountable to own it, and God is sovereign and has to make a work. And so there's a mystery in that, but that's how we explain it. So look today at our responsibility and their accountability. God's sovereign work is how it works. Here's some key passages of Scripture that I just encourage you to read them. Uh, assimilate them, immerse yourself in them. As Sandy and I got saved uh, 40-some years ago, uh, a, a big change for us was just a love for the Scriptures. I, I had a Bible. It was a confirmation Bible. It was white with a zipper on it, which means don't ever read it, you know, something like that. And, and we, were, we were searching. We walked in a little bit of bitty church in Ketchikan, Alaska. God was drawing us to himself. We walked in and Everyone had a copy of a Bible. Never seen that before in my life. There were pulpit Bibles, right, and big things. But you didn't bring one. You didn't even own one. And they all owned them and had them. I'll never forget. And they sang like they meant it. That had an impact on us. 
And so we came to Christ, we began to immerse ourselves into the Word of God, and we were naive enough to believe that God would bless the application of His Word in the lives of us and our kids. And, and He did. So these are some key scriptures that I encourage you to, to immerse yourself, pull them apart, catch the key passages, and they're here for you to immerse and, and collectively can form a structure for working with your kids. Uh, there's other things that will add to it, but these are significant key passages about the plan, about the purpose, and the process of investing in our kids. And we, I've got Proverbs so marked up, almost the whole book is marked, you know. And so I would encourage, there's no substitution for immersing yourself in the Scriptures, and then God will bring them to mind as you work with your kids. Some context about this. Um, as always, this is a template and a framework with principles that you need to apply. If you go to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it talks about fathers raising kids and taking responsibility for their family, working together and bringing them to maturity and working together. Those are principles to apply. Not a lot of details of what you're supposed to teach. And so you're going to have to figure that out. What should I teach them? How should I train them? What, what, what things do I want them to learn to develop sermon? And we are to flesh that out with them as a framework we get from today. In fact, encouraging verse to me was Hebrews chapter 12. It says that we had fathers that trained us and we respected them and they did what seemed best to them, meaning they took the word of God, applied it to life, and at that moment became their judgment call, like no jumping on the furniture. It's not a biblical restriction. Unless mom says so, then it becomes God's will for them. Right? The instruction and laws of the mother become God's will. So figure it out. And we give to them what you do at the table, how to, how to answer the phone, you know, how, to, how to conduct yourself in a civilized manner in your house. And so you have to flesh this out yourself and ask God to help you. This, the Bible speaks in Proverbs 1, 8, where the father's instruction and your mother's teaching implies that you're giving them instruction and expectations of them, how things work, I don't think kids are disobedient all the time. They just, they're sinful. They've never been taught. What are they disobeying if they haven't been taught what to do? And so we give them instruction, and they're hungry for that. And the old nature fights against it, but when they're old, they say, Mom, thank you for telling me no. Thank you for putting boundaries in my life. And so this gives them a sense of security, a sense of, and, and it trains them for the gospel. It does. Tim mentioned that today. So this is a template. This will be difficult, demanding, requires diligence. It's just going to be a lot of hard work. So you have to encourage your wife because she'll get a lot of this to play out in the home. But God has made provision for all this. We have everything we need to make this happen. In the book of Ephesians, have everything. It talks about our salvation, God's word, Christ himself, his spirit, fellow believers and pastors. We have every resource we need. In fact, if you look at 2 Timothy 3 about the difficult times that we're currently living in, the resource is the Word of God. That Timothy heard from infancy. That's what that word means, child. From infancy, before he could even comprehend, he was read the Scriptures. And I think one of our parents said, why are you reading your kids the Bible? They didn't understand. I said, well, they're going to understand one day. They'll never know a time when they didn't hear it. And so you invest in them early in we have everything we need for life and godliness. So by the grace of God, we can do this and be good stewards. And, and, and there is hope for this. I'm glad there's hope because there are days of frustration, seasons of cluelessness for us, not them. They know what they're doing. They're trying to take over the house. That's their goal. And uh, you struggle with not disciplining in anger and what's going to work with them. But there's some verses that we, what's the past tense of cling? Clung, clang, I always, we, we clinged to, anyway, you, you get the point. We hung on to these. Hebrews chapter 12, for the moment, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to cost them something. But later, but afterwards, that was the word, but afterwards, it will yield peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We hung on to the words like our life depended on it. And the afterwards came. 
or kids fight battle with their kids, seasons of battling till the victory is won. Paul told Timothy, from a child, from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise of salvation. And one day, Proverbs 31 says to the virtuous woman who cares for home, your husband praises you and God, you fear God, but your children will rise up and call you blessed. That may not be today. <laughs> that may be 20 years from now, but they will rise up and say, thank you for investing in me. That can happen. One day, our son called up and said, and Sandy answered the phone and said, hi, blessed. And she said, what? Hi, blessed. One day, they'll rise up and call you blessed. So this is the phone call that calls you blessed. And she began to cry. We had memorized Proverbs 31, and we knew what he was talking about. And by the grace of God, all of our kids to this day send us texts. Ah, thanking us for investing in them. What they're doing with their kids, by the grace of God, is making a difference. Amy texted Sandy this week, said, thank you for toughening me up to deal with and not be so weak. We might have overdone it a little bit, but I think that's okay. She's pretty tough. And um, there's hope because God is in this. So that's our introduction. So we have a responsibility to our children. What could this look like? Well, each of these points is essential and foundational. So as we pull out of here, uh, I want you to look at them. All of them are significant, and you're going to have to flesh them out. Every one of them speaks about responsibility and our stewardship. Um, we look to God for help for all of us. So let's begin to look through these. Number one, understand what is at stake. Uh, you look at Psalm 78, let's continue reading. In verse 6, the generation might know the children yet to be born, arise and tell them to their children. So they, so they, so that, here's the so that, so they should put their hope in God and trust Him and not forget the works of God and become like the fathers before them. That's what's at stake is your children and their children and the ones even yet to be born are impacted on what we teach them. Th that is a big deal. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, um, you would know him if I gave me a name, and I will not do that today, but they had their first baby, and he, they were excited like every parent is. And in today's day, you carry your camera in your pocket, right, with the phone. So they got home, and he's kind of acting kind of silly, taking pictures. And his wife said, and said his name, George, it's not his name. Sorry, George. There's a George here. It wasn't George. He said, what? He said, quit goofing around. We have a baby to train, a life to shape. There's no time to be goofy. He said, okay. And that just was not the time to be giddy. I'm a mom. We have a life to shape. He said, okay. So understand what's at stake. Generations even yet to be born. Number two, from Deuteronomy 6, let's go back to our text. As Moses, as the representative of God to this next generation that will enter the land, be recipients of the blessing of God, inhabit the land, he gives instruction, the second law giving to them. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, he says, listen up. Shema. It's a word. And it means to, it speaks of attentiveness, understanding, eagerness, heart agreement, obedience. It's a call to, be, to, to listen up. Proverbs 1, chapter 2 talks about inclining your heart and making your ear attentive. Even Revelation 1, blessed are those that hear and keep what he's saying. Revelation 2, 7, the church at Ephesus, once a thriving church, that'd make a good book title, wouldn't it? The Thriving Church. Be a great book title. They were at one time, right, Dean? It's a great book, by the way. Get it and read it. And now they're not. He said, listen up. What the Spirit says to the church, you need to hear what I'm saying to you. So this call, we're not very attentive. So here's a call to listen up, to hear with the heart. The word here means to listen intelligently 
with the implication of attention and obedience. So it's what Strong says. So listen to the Word of God. As you read it, listen to it. I tell people doing a John study that have never read the Bible, when you read the Word of God, God is speaking to you. And they go, whoa. Well, He is. And so when He speaks to you and you have a devotion, have your Bible reading and do with your kids, God is speaking. So listen carefully when you hear Him. Listen to those that God has placed over you. That's the text here. God's, Moses said that God commanded him to teach the people. He was God's mouthpiece for them, giving them the word of God. And so pay attention to those that God has placed over you that become the voice of God for you. That would be your parents if you're at home. That would be your pastors. They're told to shepherd and to teach and equip and to preach and admonish and reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering. And you're to respect them and esteem them highly for their work's sake and listen to them, learn from them, respond to them, go to work. No spectators, no consumers, no whiners, no watchers, right? Listen, you know, they work hard at this. I know these men. They work hard at shepherding their flock. They take seriously the study and the rightly handling of the Word of God, and you're the recipient of all of their hard work. And, and they, with tears, and labor over the text, and find a way to deliver in a way that's palatable and convicting and true, and they struggle to do what God... And you need to listen when they speak. And pray that God would help them be a good communicator of the Word. That God has placed over you to those who would disciple and counsel you. There's wisdom and safety in many counselors, so listen to them. Seek them out. The nature of discipleship is someone investing in you. And I, and, and I have, over the years, given people counsel as they come to me as a pastor or young couples, and I found that most don't want your counsel. They want you to affirm them or agree with them or have you fix someone else's life for them. They have no interest in what you want to say to them. And I tried anyway. And so when you come for counsel, listen to the counsel. Listen to those that God placed over you. Number three, take ownership of your walk with God. Moses goes on to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words shall command you should be on your heart. You take ownership of your walk with God. These have to be on your heart. And we take ownership of that. We've already talked about this concerning our children. It's our nature to find someone else to blame for my walk with God. It's part of our old nature. And, and yet we have to take ownership. You're exactly where you want to be in your walk with God until you want something different. These things have to be on your heart or you can't teach them to your children. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. And it says, he says here in Deuteronomy 6, our God and then your God. So one final appeal, have you come to Christ if you haven't? Someone brought you here because they loved you, cared about you, and you've heard the gospel today and last night perhaps. And it's time for you to come to Christ and be done putting it off. Your fear of God, take ownership of that. Find out what it means. Chapter 5, verse 29, God says, Oh, that they have such a mind as this always to fear me. A sense of reverence and adoration and awe and humility and never disrespect or being casual, apathetic, indifferent, or rebellious. Your obedience to God, you take ownership of that, that they would keep all of the commandments your dependence upon God, always needing Him, always seeking Him. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Your confidence in God, trusting Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Trusting Him for provision, trusting Him for blessing. Note the promises here in Deuteronomy 6. If you do these things, it will go well with you in chapter 6 and verse 3. And you'll multiply greatly as the Lord God your Father has promised you. Your service for God. Joshua's appeal that they would serve God. He said, for me and my house, even if nobody does, we're going to serve him. Your knowledge of God here is a little bitty theological nugget 
of God's essence. The Lord our God is the Lord is one. It doesn't contradict the idea of the triunity of God, that God is somehow three and God is somehow one. The name Elohim has a plurality built into it, and God made us in he said, let us make man in our image. So it doesn't negate any of that. But what it means is that to him alone, the name Jehovah rightfully belongs. He that is the one absolute God to whom no other Elohim can be compared. It's not all that he is, but it's fit the occasion coming into a polytheistic, syncretistic day. And so how well do you know him? What is your knowledge of him is revealed in the word? How much time do you spend getting to know him? Paul said that I might know him. But your love for God is part of this. That you may love him with all of your heart. A knowledge of God, a love for God, you can't separate the two. It's the mind and the heart connected. The heart is mentioned first. It is a, it is a preeminent commandment. He commands our complete plenary love for him, all of our heart, soul, and strength. That's a real challenge in a world with things challenging us for our love. So take ownership of your walk with God. Number four, teach these things to your children. We're going to focus on that for the bulk of our time. Teach these things to your children. This he goes on to say, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and then you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's going to be the focus for the bulk of our time left. So teach them diligently. That's the blank here. And part of that is start early. Meaning, how, how long does it take for them to sin against you? <laughs> they go astray from the mother's womb speaking lies. Pretty soon. And they'll whine and they'll cry and they'll scream and you kind of do the muddly, folly thing and check out what's wrong and find out there's nothing really wrong that you know of. You know, their tummy's full, and they don't have any gas, and you smell their pants, and it smells pretty clean, and, and they're just being rebellious. And you know how you test that? Because you put them down, and they stop, you pick them up, and they start again. Then you know there's something evil going on here. And we've welcomed all of our grandkids into the world, all of our children, and hugged them and loved them, and you little sinner, we love you with all of our heart, but you're going to need a spanking someday because you are a little sinner. And it didn't take long. And your kids are just the same. <laughs> and stay on task. What I mean by that, the goal is to bring them up. You have about 18 years to invest in them before they kind of move on a little bit and maybe longer for some. To bring them to maturity. So we have, that's a timetable that's built in. We're to train them, to counsel them, to mature them, and stay on task. And, and stick with it. The word diligently um, doesn't mean harshness and anger. Craig was so on point. Discipline and anger does never produce anything good in our kids. It gives them an invitation to push back, the right to defend themselves. And everything else disarms them. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir things up. And we have found kids listen more when you're calm and collected and quiet. It scares them to death. When you yell, they put up the walls, they have a right to defend themselves, and nothing spreads. And the Bible teaches that. It stirred them up. And so be quick to hear to speak, slow to anger, because an anger man does not produce righteousness in people. Never harsh, never angry, not being a tyrant, not barking orders like a drill sergeant, but it doesn't mean we can't be firm with them. You think I forgot this, right? You think, what's that? How did we notice this? Anyone notice this in my pocket? You know, what is that doing there? I can be oblivious a lot of the time, but this was intentional. I'm just clearing my name here a little bit. Um, this was intentional. This wasn't from the IRBC because they ran out of real utensils. We keep these in our glove compartment just in case you have to eat on the road and um, all packaged. The word diligently means to pierce like that. That's what it means. It means point sharp. It speaks of intensity. It speaks of consistency and focused energy till it breaks through. 
and they're going to push back on your training. The old nature does not want to give in. Without being harsh, without being a tyrant, you have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing till there's a breakthrough. And you can tell when it happens. And that battle is won. So even if they weep crocodile tears, I have no idea what that metaphor came for, but you know what it means. And they'll weep tears to make you stop. They're pulling your chain. The Bible says that in different language. Do not spare for their crying. <laughs> Don't give up because they're weeping and then they're, they're just, they just want to manipulate you to stop. At least our kids did that. Maybe your kids don't. Even if they attempt to manipulate you and divide and conquer and there are days and seasons of frustration and you're exhausted and busy, it seems hopeless, even if they don't get it and this isn't working and we've, and you just have to be creative and pray, Lord, this isn't sinking in. Now I get to talk about your younger sister. Yay! Well, when they were younger, um, Picking up toys was a big deal at the end of the day. Showed responsibility, and Amy just wasn't getting it. And so we, we spanked her, and that produced nothing. Hmm. So you pray. We said, let's charge her a nickel for every toy she leaves out and have her pay us them, because it has to cost something. So they have a conscience to do it for Christ. It has to cost them something. And so she just gave us her nickels with a smile on her face and just wasn't getting it. And that was a big chunk of her weekly allowance. We gave them a dime for every year of age. So if they're 10, they get a dollar a week and tithe it. So she wasn't rich. But the money had no value. She just gave us them. I thought it was a game. I said, this is not working. So we prayed, and you pray for creativity, and what is she going to... He said, what? She's not getting, she doesn't value money. So we said, let's go on a trip. We scheduled a bike ride. This was strategic. Get on your bikes, kid. We're going to go to the sweet shop over here. And they had the little, you know, nickel-dime candies, the little cute little paper bags. They're actually kind of cute. And get your quarters, nickels, and we'll head over and go to the sweet shop. It's actually called the sweet shop on the south side of the morning. So Danny and Ams get their stuff and ride along. Amy just gets in her bike and runs over, and they're getting to the shop, and the kids are buying their stuff, and Amy realizes, I don't have any money. Duh! <laughs> and Sandy said, why is that? Because I didn't pick up my toys. Yes! Bingo! And it pierced through, and she got it. She, didn't, she found out what she valued was candy. And so you stick with it. Even when they're older, find some way to hold them accountable. And Danny bought his first car. I loved your car. You loved your car. It was a 1990 Camry stick shift. Paid 1500 bucks for it. I said, here's the deal. And he was living for God and walking with him. He said, I need something to take away if you go off the deep end. He said, I get it. You buy the car, title it in my name, and I own it so I can take it away if you go off the deep end. He said, I understand. On their wedding day, I gave them the title back. Right? So you teach them diligently. You talk of them, talk of him constantly everywhere you go. So teaching them is not limited to devotions, though you have them. Now, limited to structured times, there must be dedicated times. But if you only talk about God in dedicated time, God does not exist to them apart from those times. He's only real to them in church and devotions, if you have them, or Sunday school or VBS, and God has no interest in the rest of my life, isn't even real and not relevant. And that's what you're teaching them. So we are here to talk of Him everywhere we go. And make that a common, natural... This is life-changing if you grasp it. This is the process of training. When does it take place? All the time. It should be natural and organic and like second nature to us to be teaching everywhere we go. Jesus did. That's how he taught. 
So you have to learn to seize those moments that come up when you're teaching. We were visiting a church uh, with Pastor and Carol. We took our kids, our teens, and our Pastor Club as a, at a ministry team, and the catch kids went out to do services and ministries on Sunday night in churches. We were visiting one of our churches, and Sandy was talking with the pastor's wife, and a couple of her kids were there. And so Sandy greets them and uh, greets the children. She's so good at this. And she said, hi, what's your name? I said, oh, here we go. Because that's the start of the journey. And she said, nothing. I said, oh, don't do that. And then the mom made it work. She said, oh, she's shy and she doesn't know you. Oh, now we're just really going down fast. Because I know where this goes. And so Sandy said, you know, it's not about being shy. She just gave you, she said, and she told the girl to say hi to Sandy. And she said nothing and said then she was shy. Sandy said, can I give a different perspective on this? You know, you know me. You just gave her a direct command. She disobeyed. She just sinned against you. And the mom said, I never saw it that way. We've done that lots of times in our church family. Some of you may remember those days. But that was a moment to be seized. We can't compartmentalize our life and put God here and not part of our life. Sandy has faith students that are, are from, I would call, pillar families that never cracked the Bible, let alone this. We're to be redeeming the time and buying up opportunities. And here, this process is a game changer about when you do this with your kids. And one, one guy asked my wife one time, she said, so when, when do you go from teaching to being a mother as a homeschooler? She said, we don't. She's always teaching. We just change subjects. It could be math, geography, or it could be how to answer the phone or how to act at the dinner table. And our grandkids need to learn this. And so we take them camping. They've joined us uh, the last three years for a week up in Door County, Wisconsin, and a couple of years ago, Amy and Christopher were there with their two little kids, Addie and Finn. And uh, Chris was setting up their tent. I was helping him set up his tent. So Sandy went with Addie and Finn to play at this huge, like 100-foot square or, uh, playground with sand. Sandy came back with the grandkids. And if you know my wife, she's a pretty happy person. And her face was just sad. I said, oh, man. Not angry, but sad. I said, what happened, dear? She said... I lost my diamond. It's been on her finger for 48 years. So I hugged her, and we cried, and we began to talk. I didn't say, oh, it's just a diamond. It's okay. That's a dumb thing to say. And then she said, I know it's just a stone. Our marriage is more than a diamond. And nothing can threaten what we have between us. I said, it's true. But it represents what we have. So we got some perspective on that and said, we're going to pray. And Addie and Finn are listening to this little huddle. We're going to ask God to help us find it. We know he has no obligation, though God knows where it is. He has no obligation to help us find it. It may just be lost. We're okay with that. We're not going to not pray about this, though. If God can make an axe head swim, he can help us find the diamond. I've never forgotten that verse. We pray that God would help us to find Grammy's diamond. And, of course, where we're staying, it, it's a nice campground with secluded sites and this chip gravel where every piece of chip looks like a diamond. <laughs> That's the context of this. A flashlight, but useless because everything's shining back at you. We took a look, had supper, prayed again, and just went about our business. We just happened to go on the back of the camper, which we never do, open a door, which we never do, and I had a couple of rubber interlocking mats laying underneath it, and there on the mat was her diamond. I never do those things, and God found it. The impact on Addie and Finn, do you see that? 
wasn't devotions. And even if he didn't, they're learning something. And so you talk of him all the time. See, and then you take them to his word. You take them to his word. Meaning you open the word of God and you take them there. You've taught it to them and you take them there and let God speak to them because you won't always be there to, t- to talk to them. You want them to deal directly with God. So you take them to the word and what God has said and you take them there. And then you keep his word in front of them. It says here to bind his word as a sign on the doorpost and the frontlets between your eyes and write them everywhere. And that, that isn't what was intended to have a visual P. Graham Dunn filled home. I like them. A good reminder for me, but that's not what it's talking about. Now, the Jews made this a habit, became a formality. If you watch Fiddler on the Roof, you know what I'm talking about. They touch it, kiss their finger, and now they've done it. And that's not the intent. It's okay if we do it, but the intent here was keep the Word of God in front of them. Everywhere they go, attach it to them. Speak of Him all the time, not just in church. This will transform your life. And then also take them with you. Uh, take them with you. Uh, take your children with you. And the essence of discipleship is them becoming their little version of you. As you walk with them and introduce them to life and take them with you, you're discipling by modeling and taking them with you. Kids are flexible and portable, and they can handle being taken everywhere. Some places you can't take them, but you'd be surprised where you can take kids. We understood that I wish we'd done more than we did, but we did some of this. I took the kids pheasant hunting, road hunting, which is really boring if you're not hunting, but I bribed them with candy from Casey. They all had their favorite. I think Amy's was Twizzlers. What was yours? Can't remember. Yeah. Maybe it was M&M's. But I took them with me. We took them with them to hospitals to pray with people that were sick and to watch people die. Took them to funerals. We took them to evangelistic Bible studies. We took them with us to people's homes. We took them on work days at church. One funeral was a, I did with 600 people. The grandson of a couple in the church took his life. And his motorcycle buddies showed up. They had a respectful Harley-Davidson 100 motorcycle caravan to the funeral. And the kids are like this in the funeral. They sat in the funeral car and going, wow. I said, don't point. (laughs) Wow, look at the tattoos. And don't, they were very respectful, but we took them with us. This morning was a prayer meeting in our house. Our son Danny's here, Tim Little, our son-in-law's here. Christopher had to work, but their wives and our grandkids were meeting at our house for a breakfast to pray for Papa, to pray for Uncle Tim, all the speakers that God would do a work through the ministry of the Word today. Sandy said, I want them to be a part of what God's doing in our family, in our churches. So we're going to pray with these grandkids, include them. Evie's here, our granddaughter. That's what happened this morning in our home, to keep them involved. I didn't want my kids resenting that their dad's the pastor. So we included them as much as we could. And then we show and tell them the works of God. We have to show them, like in Psalm 78, we have to show them not just the Word of God, but the wonders of God. We're great at teaching them the Word, but never showing them what God is doing in history and in my life and in What happened this week, to show them the invisible hand of God like Ezra, the good hand of our God was upon him. We have to show them and not hide them the hand of God at work in everyday life and history, that he's real to them. We have to show them that. And number five, we have to be careful because God may choose to bless. (laughs) Wow, that's dangerous? Yes. Blessings are dangerous. Look at the warning here. Be careful when you have things that you didn't work for and God blesses you beyond measure that you be careful that you forget him and go and serve other gods. 
There are inherent dangers in the blessings of God. Spurgeon said when they're when we are set upon the roof or the top of the pinnacle, our heads go dizzy and we're ready to fall. We just can't handle it. So be careful when God blesses what you do. And lastly, quickly, tell them your story. Verse 20, when your son asks, Dad, what does all this stuff mean? Or like in Israel, what do these stones mean when they cross the land? What mean these stones? Where did we come from? What's our history? Tell me and catch me up. With a generation of kids that have no interest in history, that's sad. We don't live disconnected. It's not nostalgia. We, we, we play out a thread in life. We owe them to tell them our story. When the kids ask you, you better, be, better take time for them, make room for them, or they'll just stop asking. Tell them your story. They only know what they've seen. They don't know that I used to be an engineer, used to be unsaved. They did not know that I used to have an orange pinto. What is that? You, 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 you didn't always have a smartphone. I love my razor, though, right, Danny? My razor phone, Motorola razor, that was a hard one to give up. We had corded phones. You didn't always have color TV and flat screens. No. I didn't live in the days of horse and buggy. I'm not that old. But I had corded phones and black and white TV, and I had long hair parted down the middle and used to listen to pop and rock music. I liked Jim Croce and Seals and Crofts and um, Cat Stevens. Morning has broken. That's a Cat Stevens song, by the way. It was hard to sing that in church for me. I wasn't always saved, not always a pastor. And you have to tell them your story, connect them to what God is doing in your life so they can understand where they fit. Tell them your story. Keep the generational truth going as best you can. And God has allowed us to invest in our kids. Encourage your wives, be involved in your family. It's a template to help, but all of them are significant and meaningful. This is the process of truth going to my father, to me, to my kids, to my kids, and the ones even yet to be born. That's what God expects of us. Let's, by his grace, be diligent pursuing this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your blessing. Thank you for these men who have been here and such an encouragement to one another, to, to me, it's been a rich time in the Word. Help us to go home with something that would change our lives. As we reach unsaved people and we invest in our wives and our children, help us to make disciples with your help and with your blessing. There's so much at stake. A generation is yet to come should Jesus linger. Father, it's humbling almost terrifying to think what you've entrusted to us. But with your help, we help us to be good stewards of these things. We pray this in Jesus' name.